This is Magic City Soccer. Es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. Let's go, Miami FC. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Vamos, Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer, your home for everything you need to know about soccer in Miami-Dade County. Hello, soccer fans in South Florida and beyond, and welcome to our show. Uh, we are happy to have you back here uh, uh, for po- first podcast in a little bit. Uh, but if you've been following us at all on social media, you know that we've been a little bit busy. And if you're interested in content featuring us speaking or writing, there's been plenty of it. Um, but we're back uh, in the old stomping grounds of the podcast. It's uh, me and Lee Fence, everyone's favorite Welshman. Lee, how you doing, pal? Oh, I'm doing very well because football is back, um, which is my favorite thing in the world, as everyone who knows me knows. Um, yeah, I'm doing good, Matt. How about you? I'm doing great. Like you said, it's great to have competitive, high-level soccer back in Miami-Dade County. Um, you know, UPSL has been off and going for a little bit here. And, the, uh, you know, you know better than almost anyone else in the world how good those games mm-hmm. have been down here. But it is fun to see the NPSL back and kicking off, and especially kicking off with these two games uh, to start off the season featuring Miami FC and Miami United. And we'll dive into that in just a second. Um Actually, you know what? Let's dive into it right now. Why not? Um, yeah, the water is good. Let's let's dive into that Magic City Classico water right now. Head first. The, the water's warm. Come on, come right on in. Um, last weekend, last Saturday, Miami FC and Miami United kicked off the NPSL Sunshine Conference season uh, with a matchup at the new home of the Miami United, Barry University. And we'll talk about the grounds in a couple of minutes because I think that is worth remarking on. Uh, but it was uh, really a cracker of a game. Uh, you saw... I think what Miami FC hoped to produce last year against Miami United, but Miami United was so good at flummoxing them and frustrating them. Uh, a 2-0 victory, a decisive victory. Lee, you and I were on the call, uh, so you know we saw it firsthand. A couple of days have passed. What do you reflect on from that game? What do you take away as, as the most important bits and pieces to kind of focus on as we have a rematch coming up this Saturday? Um, I mean, that's, it's a really difficult thing to sum up quickly. Um, I think, obviously, the professionalism from the team, um, first of all. I think I was remarking to Drew um, the other day when I was talking to him. You know, the two, going two goals, two goals up in the first half is all well and good, but you've still got to close out that game in the second 45 minutes. And, you know, we've seen it before with Miami FC that sometimes, you know, a, a lack of concentration or a moment of indiscipline can make things unravel. And I think possibly the most interesting aspect of that game wasn't the great goals, wasn't all these new faces playing really well, but it was that mental toughness and that control of the game that once we were ahead, we kept ahead and looked very, very comfortable the whole game. And in the second half, might not have been as explosive as the first half, but really FC didn't give United a sniff. Not a sniff. And I think that's the most encouraging thing going forward. They've, they've got better. Uh, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. You know, those first 20, 25 minutes of the matchup were, uh, I definitely think, advantage Miami FC in terms mm-hmm. of kind of who was having the better opportunities. But at the same time, you also have to feel that Miami United 
were playing the game they wanted to play. You know, as we commented, it was very physical. Uh, and and there, yeah, there were a couple of rough challenges, but but generally, I would say it's it was smart, professional, uh, you know, physicality. Um, but that Dario Suarez goal really just cracked it open. And in contrast to what we saw last year when these two teams played, when there was that singular moment, that kind of show-stopping moment, uh, instead of it breaking Miami FC, it really put the put the steel into their spine. And from that goal, it really seemed as though Miami United didn't have much of a of a response. Uh, definitely the Granito goal uh, right before halftime, the Olympico, as it was it was adjudicated by both Miami United and Miami FC uh, by their observers. Um, that definitely seemed to salt it, put it away. But it was really that moment where, like you said, the composure, the focus that Miami FC lacked last year, uh, you know, even among some of the players that you would consider leadership. Um, this year, those players, again, they, they, they took punches, or not literally, but almost, you know, again, physical challenges <laughs> and whatnot. They took their licks, they kept on ticking, they kept on focused, and then again, they got their opportunity, they seized it, and they did not let up for a second. And just to jump in there, Matt, you mentioned the goal and it was really, really interesting for me because there, you're right, there was like a palpable sense of relief when that goal went in. Um, you know, people can say, you know, this is the NPSL and they're not massive teams, but the game does matter. I mean, it's the, these are the two games that matter most during the regular season. And, and we, we don't have a great record against Miami United. Um and I think there's always that little bit of doubt. And like you say, it was advantage Miami United in the first part of the game. And I remember saying on the call, like, it's going to take a moment of magic. And I have a poor track record of getting things right <laughs> when I'm commenting on them. But then, you know, a few moments later, we had that goal. And I think the relief, that really settled the team down. And, um, and yeah, it, it turned into a very good professional overall performance. I think, you know, FC didn't go for the jugular. And that might the the temptation for that might have been there, especially with the full house at Buccaneer Field, to try and put on a bit of a show. And it was like, no, what we have, we hold. Let's close this two 0 out and take the three points. Let's talk about Buccaneer Field for a second, because again, this was a debut for uh, Barry University as a home of the Miami FC. Uh, they had played one game here previously. They played Barry University in a friendly, I believe, two preseasons ago. If my mm-hmm. memory my memory doesn't fail me, I could be wrong there. Um, but it it was definitely you know we were remarking on it. It's it's been a real kind of Goldilocks situation with the club that sometimes when they played at Ricardo Silva, it felt a little bit big, you know, 18,000 seats for lower level soccer is ambitious. You know, it's where the club wants to be. And, and, and there were definitely a couple of times playing Atlanta, a couple of those big Cosmos or strikers games where you got a really nice crowd in there, but it didn't really ever feel full. And then going to last year when you were playing at St. Thomas university, which was really an adapted training ground where you had room for a few hundred, but it was a small bleacher and kind of standing room only after that. This really seemed like the sweet spot. You know, it was a crowd of uh, announced at 1,200, and I think that's a very fair number. I think that's what it was. I don't think there was any overestimation here. Um, it was a great turnout, a great environment. Um, the pitch was immaculate. I think that might be the best part of it, was that field was gorgeous. And um, Yeah, Matt, I think I, I remember telling you when you got there, because, of course, I had the advantage of uh, doing like a walkthrough with a club before the day of the game. And I remember quite clearly saying to you, like, go on, Matt, just 
trust me, go down to the pitch and have a little walk around it. And I could see on your face, I could see it on your face, Matt. You're like, what's this guy talking about now? Mad old gringo. But then when you get down on that pitch, it feels like a real football pitch. There's some, there's a little bit of magic in those blades of grass, isn't there? Yeah, it was. I actually took two laps. I was just going to take a lap. <laughs> I wound up taking a second lap to get some video and kind of just enjoy walking around it. It was, yeah, it was lovely. It, it, and again, the facilities are are right online with what you would want for a, a club like Miami FC. Bleachers big enough. I, I mean, they fit four supporters groups um, on that yep. game Saturday yep. night. And there was enough space for Miami United and their supporters. Uh, the day brigade was there loud and proud. And there were lots of people in the middle who were either rooting for Miami FC or, you know, just want to come check out the scene uh, in Miami Shores. Uh, yeah, it was great. And uh, from our perspective, an actual press box was lovely. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, it was it's a real it, it, it makes it feel like it should, uh, which which is a, a really good minor level operation, minor league operation. You know, because I tell people this all the time when they talk about, you know, second or third or fourth division soccer it becomes hard to grasp because, you know, the, the different pyramid and all this and that. But in reality, if you just think about minor league baseball, like minor league baseball has beautiful facilities in the United States that are yeah. sometimes better than some major league facilities in terms of fan experience. And so this is, I think, much closer to what uh, what Miami FC in general will require. Again, will, will there be a couple times where you don't want to flex up and go to Ricardo Silva? Absolutely. Um, but it, I think this is a real asset to the club, and I, I think that, that people should get used to turning out there because it it's really, really nice. Yeah, I think I, I've been on record a few times with like the Bob Holes a, a, a special place in my heart, and it always will. And I agree with you completely that it was great as that stopgap, but it was time to move on and find something a little bit more appropriate. Um, you're absolutely right in terms of like facilities and everything. It was it was great. It's it's made for the sport, which is a great thing. You're very on top of the action, which is a great thing. I think it's a shame Drew isn't here because you know he was the one of us that went through the experience as a fan. I understand that there's a, a couple of kinks to still work out about the fan experience. Um, obviously, I can't comment on that personally, but just from what I've heard, there's there's still changes. You know, there's always room for improvement. Um, and it was for me, obviously, like, I've always been in the stands. So to be in the press box instead, I did talk to a couple of the guys, and they were like, "It's great," but there's you know this and that, and that's a discussion for people to have. But overall, you know, it, it's 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 a great facility, and I think that. You know, look into the long term. Can you grab like, you know, a bleacher for 200 people and stick it behind one of the goals and get a little fan section going on there? You know, make it sort of, you know, it, it can be adapted. It was, it's, it's a nice place to watch football. And that's the, best, that's the best way I can put it. It's a lovely place to watch football. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the longer uh, Miami FC is there, the more they're going to settle in. Uh, and, you know, we've seen uh, St. Thomas has has benefited from their partnership with the Miami FC in terms of improvement in their facilities and, and, and um, you know, how, how things have kind of stepped up there. Uh, and I think Barry can kind of expect the same, that Miami FC has a certain standard that they kind of push for in terms of, uh, you know, what how they want things to be run. And, and, and I think that, uh, yeah, I, th- I think that, that that facility, Miami FC is going to settle into that facility very well. And Barry has a good soccer program already. They have national champions 
uh, on the defending national champions on the men's side, the women's program. Yeah, they are, Matt. They are defending national champions. So you've got two national champions playing out at that venue. I mean, what other city can say that? I mean, probably there's a couple, but... You know, I, I know that Sean Flynn made the point when he was speaking to Carter the other day online. Uh, you know, no trof- no club has won more trophies than Miami FC, and you got Barry University, uh, Barry University, who are champions there as well. Yeah. So uh, maybe there's maybe there's a little you know maybe there's a little touch of the Irish, as we say, about that place. You know, <laughs> it's where it's where champions go to play. Something in the water, something in the water yep. in Miami Springs. Um, yeah. So. Like we said, the game, 2-0, uh, the two goals were both remarkable. Um, Mike Hujo, who is kind of our technical support in caring. In case you don't know, we are the broadcast partner of the Miami FC this year. We are on commentary, but if you're listening, I assume you already know that. Uh, but Mike Hujo is helping us um, to kind of facilitate sharing our broadcast with the world. And um, they actually shared the Dario Suarez goal this afternoon Um kind of a funny tweet uh, we retweeted that if you want to check out our twitter account at magic city soccer i mean that was that was that seemed to just drop out of the sky yeah it was it, it's all technique and that's what you get with darius suarez is that he's all about technique you know he has he has strength as well and you we all know how quick he is and how well he accelerates from a standing start but he's a match winner and he's capable of those moments, and that's why he's such an exciting player to watch. And I think that anyone who went down there and, and paid five bucks or ten bucks for a ticket can't complain about the entertainment on show. You know, we can talk about that goal as well, but, you know, both sides played good soccer as well. But, you know, when I, when I think about the goal now, it was a great, great bit of defending by Brenton Griffiths, and we, we moved the ball so well through the centre of midfield, and that's actually where we found uh, most joy, like down the flanks, we, you know, we didn't really create a lot. Um, you know, that goal came through the middle and he just he just found the space and hit it. The goalkeeper was off his line. And you can go back and watch the goal. When a shot is that good, no goalkeeper in the world is going to keep it out. It was a phenomenal strike from a phenomenal player. And we're lucky to have him. And uh, long may that continue. Yeah, you know, it, I know that Lance Roseboom won player of the match. And, and I, I'm not going to take anything away from what I thought was a great game from him as well. But man, I, I was so impressed with Darius Suarez, even away from that goal. I thought that he he was playing, like you said, Lee, like a winning player. And sometimes that's hard to quantify and analyze, but he was just working so hard and making so many plays, punching above his weight literally and figuratively. Um, you know, in terms of just getting to jump uh, getting to aerial balls and and, and and generating opportunities with kind of his vision. And and yeah, it was. I was really impressed. And I mean, you saw he was the difference maker. I think for Miami FC last year, it was really him coming into the side uh, mid season after the Miami yeah. FC matches that it seemed as though a, 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 a switch got flipped and really turned Miami FC from kind of a pedestrian team those first few games into the national champions that they became. I think that if you look at one player who really again. That is the the straw that stirs the drink, if you will, to borrow an, another cliche. I know I dropped too many as it is, but I, I mean, <laughs> he was he is really impressive, and you just you see it, you see him on the field and say, okay, yeah, that that guy's different. That guy's got a little extra that can go and win you a match all on his own. I tell you what, Matt. The other thing about Dario Suarez, um, and one of the most important things any footballer can have, is he's unpredictable. If, if a player is one-dimensional and they're always trying to do the same thing, then that's very easy to play against. But when Darius Suarez gets the ball, 
you honestly don't really know what's going to happen. Is he going to knock it down the outside and take a flying run down the wing? Is he going to cut inside? Is he going to shoot? Is he going to pass? A lot of other footballers, sometimes when they get on the ball, you know, oh, I know what this guy's going to do. But when Dario gets the ball, that unpredictability is a huge, huge asset. And if you're a defender, and now I'm not on air officially, you know, in the podcast, you know, they must be shitting themselves because they're like, <laughs> what, 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 what's this guy, what's he going to do? Like, I don't know. I don't know how to defend against this. And that, again, like that opens up opportunities to the players around Dario as well, because then if they're worried of so much about him, and again, with Dylan Mahrez, we saw Dylan Mahrez having like two or three players on him, that opens up the space for other players around him. So he's he creates so much on and off the ball. He's like, I can't. I can't say enough nice, nice, good things about him. He's a fantastic player. Yeah, for absolutely. Um, other thing I, I think that I want to mention before we start looking ahead to uh, this weekend. Well, let me mention Roseboom first, then. Matt, yes, because absolutely. Then, you know, I, obviously Dario is like a, a great, like he's, he's a cutting edge. But um, again, going back to like the, the, you know, what it takes to close out a soccer game like that, game management and organization. Lance Roseboom was incredible. And I think you, there's some of the best players in the world, and I'm not obviously going to compare him directly to them, but when you talk about players like, you know, currently, say, Busquets at FC Barcelona, and even before him, you know, the likes of um, Xavi, if you're not watching them, you're not watching the game. It's not always what you do on the ball. You know, when Dario gets the ball, he's explosive and it's great. But what Lance Roseboom does off the ball, organizing, moving into spaces to snuff out attacks. He, when he gets the ball, he already knows what he's going to do. He already knows where his teammates are on the pitch. There's, um, th- there's a quality about Lance Roseboom that is hard to put into words because he's such a good midfielder and it's such an important position. Yeah, anyone can like you know score a highlight. Well, not anyone, but people can <laughs> score highlight real goals. But it, it's if you if you go back and watch that game and watch Lance Roseboom through the whole game, he didn't put a foot wrong and he just calmed that whole midfield down. All the players around him know is like if I need to get rid of the ball, I can give it to Lance. And and then as well, th- those important qualities like leadership, picking the team up. We had a free kick and he was back there putting players in their positions, telling them to concentrate. For me, Dario was number two, but Lance Roseboom had a phenomenal game. And it's not just about kicking the ball. A lot of the game is, you know, is, is, in, is in your mind. And he's a cerebral player. And I love that about him. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said, I, I wanted to mention Dario uh, and how impressed I was by his kind of effort and flash. Um, but like, I also want to, I don't want to take a single thing away from Roseboom because he really is... Um, a key figure and as we described in in the preseason uh match and as we've talked about leading up to the kickoff of the season for Miami FC the players who will kind of play in that kind of holding controlling midfield position are really like the keys i mean as more than anyone else if if you if in Paul Douglas's system if you're that kind of controlling midfielder that kind of oversees the operation of everything else. If you have a good game, the team should have a good game. And if you're not in control, things are going to start breaking down very quickly. And, I mean, we've seen so far in, in the preseason game uh, that we covered uh, and this first opening game, the more the team has control, the better they do. And the more that that key figure in the center plays control and holds control, the better the team does. And, yeah, Rosewoom's definitely a, a big a big 
part of of making the engine turn over. And I'll tell you what, I, I believe that, that, that we're going to call him the sheriff because he's a new sheriff <laughs> in Miami. He's got that Wild West look about him and it's a, it's a nickname that's a huge compliment. But um, a man like that deserves a nickname. And again, I was uh, talking to a couple of the guys and, uh, you know, he's, he, he's, he is the boss in that midfield and uh, Sheriff Lance Roseboom. I think that's a good one. I think that'll stick. Um, <laughs> I'm, 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 Drew's not here. I'm stealing all his best lines. It's, I've got to give Drew Houseman credit for that one, but I'm 100% <laughs> on board with it. Um, the sheriff. All right, we'll get the trademarks uh, filed on Drew's behalf uh, later tonight. <laughs> um, I, I did also want to single out what I thought was interesting was um, the play of Tomas Granito, uh, who obviously scored the Olympico, who, who I think was maybe, you know, this is a player facing his old team. And I think early on in the game was not 100% in, 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 maybe a little bit anxious to make something happen, a little bit of a try-hard situation there. Um, but really settled in nicely and then obviously scoring the goal. And, uh, you know, as, as Kartik Krish and I are mentioned in our broadcast, uh, took, took absolutely no uh, waiting in order to start <laughs> celebrating. Uh, he was very happy to score that Good goal boy. and let people know it. And I think the, some of the physicality that we saw um, after that goal might have stemmed from that. Um, I thought that was a really interesting dynamic. Uh, and to see uh, Granito get that goal, uh, I think that's the kind of perfect thing for him as he's really starting off on a new journey with a new team. Uh, he had been with Miami United for a good little bit there. To, to be with Miami FC now, I think if you're head coach Paul Dalglish, you obviously want the goal because you want to score a goal. But I think there's even a bigger payoff that comes from that player getting that goal. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's it's funny how these scripts write themselves in soccer. And, uh, you know, he, he had a fantastic game. He wasn't perfect all game. Um, and I think I put that down to we expected him to maybe be the guy who would sit at the base of the midfield, which I believe is where he would, it would was playing for Miami United. But um, quite early on, we saw that it was uh, Dylan and Thomas Granito who were playing more further forward than Lance who was playing further back. Um, and I remember when we were watching the FC Miami City game at Matt, we, we were saying, like, how is Paul Dalglish going to pick 11 players out of this squad that he's got? Um, you know, I, th- I think I gather maybe a couple of players were unavailable, whether that was for injury or what. We know that Ariel Martinez may have been injured. So maybe there was a little forced reshuffle that he felt that Thomas Granita was a bit more suitable in that advanced role, um, maybe, maybe than Roseboom. Um, so I could see it at times. You said that you know it took a while to get into the game, but I think that was because he was maybe being asked to do a job that's a little bit different from maybe what he was doing in pre-season. But then once he'd settled into that, once the whole team had settled down after 25 minutes, um, he was very, very effective indeed. And you know sometimes if, when you have an affinity with a club um, that you've been at previously, you don't celebrate the goal. But I think the fact that it was uh, such a remarkable finish direct from a corner of the Olympico I don't think you could. I don't think even if I was a Miami United fan, I don't think I could begrudge him celebrating that. Yeah, absolutely. That uh, that's uh, that's certainly worth celebrating. Um, so one game down in the Magic City Classico, finally a result in in PSL league play after two draws. Um, of mm-hmm. course, Miami United did get the U.S. Open Cup win last year. So in the overall official record of all competitions, it's one win Miami FC, one win Miami United, two draws. Um, Miami FC now will travel uh, to the North Miami Athletic Center 
uh, which is really right down the street from Barry University, as I discovered the other day. Um, mm-hmm. N- North Miami is not uh, the part of town which I live in. I live closer to Dadeland Mall. And so whenever I get up there, it is kind of like discovering a whole new world. Um, <laughs> so being able to, I believe it's right down 135th Street, if I recall, right down 135, you can get from You're basically, right. uh, you know, Barry to uh, Biscayne Bay Campus of FIU and Morning High School in probably about 10 minutes. So I think that's a really interesting dynamic. Um, <laughs> Lee, you've, uh, you've been to that stadium before. Uh, obviously, there's more to talk about than just stadium talk, although we do love stadium talk here. Um what do you think Miami FC has to do in order to kind of continue their their positive direction here? And what does Miami United have to do to adapt and get at least a result on Saturday? I think they have to be a little bit more positive, Matt. Um, I think that, you know, with, with the system that Miami FC plays, they do leave their fullbacks very high. And that does create chances behind those full backs. And I don't think they did a good enough job of exploiting that. Um, the Miami United number 20, Max Schenfeld. Um, it's always a bit easier when players are a certain side of the field because they're near us in the press box. But during the second half, he got on the ball quite a bit down the left and was a little bit dangerous. And I think on the other side was Montano uh, down the right. I think they need to. I think they need to get to basics and play maybe a little bit more of a simpler game. You know, keep that width. And just try to get behind Miami FC at every opportunity. Not really worry so much about keeping possession. They've they've got to really they've got to really kind of get stuck into the team. It's pointless trying to sit back and counter attack because that's what Miami FC are going to do. I think width will be the key. If they can get if Scheinfeld and Montagna were pretty good players, if they can get them on the ball, um, you know maybe they can have some joy. I, the centre forwards, I think it was um, Solari and the name of the other guys escaping me right now. Um, but they, they didn't see much of the ball. And I think maybe just get it wide, get it into the box and just uh, play the percentages. You know, you're going to get two or three clear cut chances in the game. Make sure you take them and just keep it tight at the back and maybe think, well, against Miami, yeah, see, we're going to lose that midfield battle. Let's get it wide. Let's get in behind them. Let's just press them as much as we can keep it tight at the back and um when we get the chances take them yeah i i'm glad you mentioned the how miami fc are playing with their their fullbacks uh the, the left and right backs um there was a lot of space back there for miami united in particular in those first 20 minutes there were a lot of long mm-hmm. aerial balls that were dropping in right at the foot of someone who was totally open and uncovered but to miami fc's credit they had the center of the field locked down in the box. They were getting it out. Um, there were only a couple of chances that were a bit worrisome. But, yeah, you have to figure, if if, if you're kind of regrouping here, uh, if you're Miami United, you have to figure, hey, that was something we were able to do that should have led to more opportunities. We Let's take that and, and work with it. Um, I, I, I agree that that kind of has to be the, the approach here. They can't just... They've got to continue. Again, in that first 20 minutes, they were very aggressive, pushing very far up the field, causing difficulty for the Miami FC back line. And there were a couple of times where there were missteps and and, and mistaken decisions. Um, Miami United were not able to cash in. But if they had, you know, if Miami United went Mm -hmm. up 1-0 in that game on Saturday, you're talking about potentially an entirely different experience for the Miami FC and, and a feeling of here we go again. Um, I think if you're Miami United, you have to be very aggressive on Saturday. Try to get the first goal. I know it's easy to say, of course, you want to get the first, second, and third goal. 
but I think there's a real premium. If Miami FC score first again, I think Miami FC are, are going to walk away with three points and it may be a, a three or four kind of goal game because now Miami FC are more settled in to playing. They've played a game together. They have that under their belt and they have the Miami United monkey off their back. Miami United has to figure out a way to jump back on their back again before Miami FC jumps on them. Yeah, definitely. And you know, playing playing sort of fantasy football manager here again with with Miami United. I don't think the three at the back was really the right decision on the day. I'd be surprised if they try that again on Saturday. You know, I think it should be a, a, you know the flat back four and you know two players out wide. You're going to lose the midfield battle to Miami FC anyway, so why not just go with the two central midfielders and two players up top? You know, tie up um, both. Obviously, on Saturday it was. Jalen Markey and Brenton Griffiths have two forwards up there and just keep those two guys busy. And, you know, the, the, the three at the back, I think that third central defender is you're sort of wasting a player because if you've got those three central defenders back all the time, you're losing out one player further forward. So, again, you know, it's easy to sit here and say it, but I would say maybe go for a 4-4-2, something like that, maybe a 4-3-3. But I think uh, going back to a flat back four maybe is probably what Ferdy is going to do the Miami United coach. Yeah, I, I I actually I think that's a pretty good idea. That's probably I think four three three might be the 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 better answer there to let them uh, kind of be a little bit more capable in pressing. But I I think that yeah three at the back is going to be a little bit difficult for them uh, to juggle. Um, Miami United are as we mentioned playing in a new facility, um, uh, Ron Book Field, also known as the North Miami Athletic Center. Uh, Lee, you've been there for Haiti Cup games. Um, I have not had the opportunity to be there yet, and Miami United have never played a game there, so you might have more experience than some of the players uh, before Saturday. So can you tell us a little bit about that facility, if Miami United or Miami FC fans are venturing up there for the first time, what they might expect? Well, you can expect something very different. I mean, um, I think Mylander Park was generally accepted as as a very good fit for Miami United. We can only speculate on the re- reasons on why they're moving. Um, it's difficult to compare the two. I'm not going to say that one is better than the other because it's not it doesn't really work that way. Sure, Mylander was great because you were again you were right on top of the action at uh, at Ronald Book Stadium. You got the running track there. Now I don't like that. I don't think anyone likes that. <laughs> But it's a slightly newer facility. Um, there is one, there's one main stand, and that stand is on like the west side of the field. So the good thing is, is that um, you don't have things like sun in your eyes. The orientation of the field is very good. So it's a nice big stand as well. So it's, it's, it's going to be good, but it's kind of a one-sided ground as, again. Um, when I was there for Haiti Cup, which must have been, gosh, about a month, a month and a half ago, uh, they were actually in the middle of tearing down one set of bleachers. So I don't actually know if they've gone back up yet or not. So it may only be one side of the ground. The turf is new turf though. Um, I, you know, I, I think the turf is a little bit of an upgrade. Maybe I didn't get a chance to get on the surface. I have been on the surface at Mylander. Mylander was pretty good surface, although it looked, didn't look like it. It looked well worn, but it, actually when you get on it, it's pretty good. Yeah. I would agree um, with that. I will warn people now that, um, I, I'm, if there's going to be any a big crowd, not a lot of parking up there. So if you want to get to that game and you know not have to park on a grass verge somewhere, I would definitely arrive early. I think it's you know it's a it's a nice stadium in a nice part of town. It's a lovely setting. You know you're there on by the Biscayne Bay campus of um, FIU. Um, 
I think that people will like it, but I think people will miss Mylander a little bit. But I think the surface is going to be conducive to good soccer, and that's ultimately what matters. Yeah, I what I would say is, uh, again, the the limited amount that I know about this stadium, but I do know a little bit about the area. Uh, like you said, that was one of the first things that jumped out to me uh, when I heard they were moving was the parking situation. Um, that stadium is is next to a high school, so there is likely going to be some parking there. But it is also surrounded by really kind of a natural forest uh, out of which where FIU... It's Iguana Town. There's lots of iguanas up there. Yes, yeah. If you're iguanophobic, stay away. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, that could be an issue. That might, It might be an Uber situation or a Lyft situation. Uh, you know, if, if you can hack it, you know, meet up at someone's house who maybe lives in North Miami and then just kind of Uber over to the stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's an interesting opportunity. Uh, clearly, there has been a shift in the last couple of years from the south and west part of the county to the north and east part of the county, uh, which is certainly beneficial to folks who live up in that area. Um, I do wonder uh, if either club, you know, you have to imagine that Miami FC, when they made this move to St. Thomas and then Barry thought that they would kind of corner a part of the market, and then Miami United decided to come up and chase right after him. You have to wonder who might be interested in taking over the southwest uh, portion of the county. Um, but yeah, I think that they actually are two very nice venues. And I think it's it'll the be running, fun. Matt, sorry to jump in. It's, it's the running track that's going to suck. I mean, yes. there's no, no two ways about it. When it comes down to it, there's not much to choose between the two. But, you know, you throw in that running track and I think that's going to that's gonna bite a little bit. Yeah, I think that, that'll definitely be a bit of a bit of a detriment. Um, but yeah, it, it, it will be interesting for sure. Uh, and again, this match really not to get too far ahead of our, our, you know, to get over our skis here, this could be the conference in terms of seeding for the playoffs, because as yeah. we, as we know, the other teams in this league, I mean, they're certainly going to put forth their best efforts, but pretty much everyone coming into this se- season, including media outlets in places like Jacksonville, um, they're, they are anticipating that this is going to be a, this is a kind of one-two matchup. So if if Miami United goes down two games here, if they fall behind by six points, I mean, it will take a monstrous Miami FC mess up in order for them to get back even to, to even terms. Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, I, I don't really know what's going on up in Jacksonville. Um, we were having a little talk in the group chat that I think that maybe Robert Palmer up there is just sort of keeping things ticking over. Uh, you know, idling the car while he sees how some of this leagues against leagues against league stuff plays out. But he he has that luxury in Jacksonville because he's not really competing against anyone. They have a good loyal fan base, and you know the hardcore will turn out for under twenty three team that's you know that's that's college kids. They've downgraded their stadium slightly, um, so I think you're entirely right, Matt. That is it. It is like a two horse race for um, for the number one spot. And we will probably have a very good idea about who that number one is going to be um, when it comes to um, late Saturday evening. Yeah, I think we're, we're going to have a lot more answers. And again, you kind of you kind of wonder why the scheduling is the way it is uh, when it comes to this. Because, yeah, if, if Miami FC win this game on Saturday, you're going it, to it's going to be hard for any other team to really catch up to him. Uh, j- just based on the skill of the conference, you would figure that you would maybe want to split these games up a little bit. But Again, if if Miami FC go two for two, they're in the exactly the position you would want to be in, uh, heading mm-hmm. into the rest of the season and looking ahead to the Sunshine Conference playoffs. 
Um, oh, another point, Matt, about the playoffs. Sorry to break into your train of thought there. Sure. Um, but, of course, we have confirmation now that the playoffs is now top four. And I'm a huge fan of that because I think that, you know, there's no denying that in this division we have a powerhouse, and that powerhouse is Miami FC. Yes. With all due respect to Man United. Um, my, fuck, I've done that again. With all due respect <laughs> to Miami United. And I'm sorry, Matt, that's a sore point for you as well, I know. With yeah. all due respect to Miami United, they're the second best team in the division. Um, and then behind that, I think it's going to be a difficult season for Jacksonville. But I think having three and four make the playoffs does make, you know, it makes a little division within a division of which two out of those four teams can slide into those um, third and fourth spots. And I think that's, that is arguably going to be the more interesting fight than the title fight, you know, between Naples, Jacksonville, Central Florida and uh, Storm FC, Miami Soccer Academy, whatever we're calling them. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I definitely think that you've got a race for first and you've got a race for third and fourth. And, yep. and that will be very entertaining to see. Um, yeah, you wonder who's going to get in there. Will, uh, you know, Storm FC, which is being fielded this year by Miami Soccer Academy, will they make a jump and be com- more competitive? Uh, you know, will Jacksonville, even though it is kind of a diminished Jacksonville squad, will they still be in the fight? You, you, you Central Florida, the newcomers, are they going to, uh, you know, put put on a show uh, that we don't anticipate? A uh, lot, of, lot of options here in the Sunshine Conference, but yeah, it does. It does seem like there are kind of two divisions, two, uh, you know, uh-huh. a, a kind of top flight and and a second division here in the conference. Um, so, uh, Miami FC, Miami United. Just to remind you, North at- North Miami Athletic Center or Ron Book Field, uh, next to FIU Biscayne Bay Campus and uh, Tracy and Alonzo Morning High School. There in North Miami. That game will kick off on Saturday the 27th at 7 p.m. Yes, Lee? Or 7.30? No, 7.30 p.m., ah, Matthew Bunch. Yes. Ah. I, I seem to have trouble in the 7 o'clock hour. I mix up my 7 nah. and 7.30 kickoffs. Um, 7.30 kickoff. Uh, tickets are available on the Miami United website. Um, you know, again, good deals for good entertainment here in South Florida. If you're looking for something to do on a Saturday night, far, far uh, worse things you could do. Uh, then go see those games. Those games will be a lot of fun. Magic City Soccer will be there, um, you know, taking it in from a fan perspective and a, a professional perspective. Um, any other... Matt, yes. yes, just let me jump in there. before Absolutely. I know we have some other stuff, but let me do my little lower league wrap-up wrap now because it's actually a very interesting fact that you can go to watch soccer at that Ronald Book Stadium on both Saturday and Sunday. Um, on Sunday... Uh, there was actually the Haiti Cup, um, the Haiti Cup, the 19th edition. It's been going for 19 years, which I think is a good run in a city like Miami. Yes. Um, the Haiti Cup, I mean, the Haitian community is very um, tight, tightly close-knit, and it took me a long time to discover this tournament, but when I went down, I had a fantastic time. It's at the quarterfinal stage. So there's two games at Ronald Book on Sunday night, 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. kickoff. The first game escapes me, but the Palm Beach Spartans, my favorites are playing um, a, a team at 7 p.m. in the quarterfinals. Uh, there is a, the, the tickets are on sale. I believe it's $15, but that gets you the two games. And there's um, uh, like a Haitian music concert afterwards. It's a Sunday night, but if you don't have to be at work too early on the, the Sunday morning, that would be well worth checking, checking out in exactly the same location. And before the main event, we learned today that um, the Miami United UPSL team will be playing Atletico Miami. Um, at four, I've been now. I'm not sure about this kickoff, Matt. I think believe at four thirty before the main event on the Saturday. 
So there's a whole load of soccer. Four games you can check out at Ronald Book Stadium um, this this weekend. And that UPSL game between Miami, the Miami United development team and Atletico Miami will be a good one. Atletico Miami are new to the UPSL this season. Um, they've got some very good players, play some very good football, and they're run by very, very nice guys as well. I can't say enough nice things about them. If you've been curious about the UPSL, simply turn up early for that game on Saturday and your curiosity will be satisfied. And I'm sure you'll become a little bit of an Atletico Miami fan. They're a very good outfit. Yeah, I can tell you that game will kick off at 4 o'clock. Uh, I'm checking out the graphic now. Uh, and yeah, Atletico Miami, I, they're, they're an interesting squad, again, coming onto the scene this year. Uh, their social media presence, uh, to me, is quite interesting. Uh, yep. It, you know, they've got, which is like something we pay attention to that probably no one else does. But like <laughs> their their graphics team is is very good at what they do. Uh, you know, sometimes that that really is what separates like <laughs> what you would see as like a professional operation and not a professional operation uh, in terms of like how much attention are you pouring into your graphics and your social media outreach. And yeah, you say pouring there, Matt, because sometimes, you know, I buy a bottle of wine simply on what the label is going to look like. And, you know, (laughs) you're right. It's it's the psychology of of what you want to, you know, even like holding a scroll on Instagram. Um, They have a, you know, the logo is great. You know, they've they've worked a wolf into their logo. So if you happen to be an AS Roma fan as well, then that's the lower league Miami team for you. It's definitely a good overlap there. Um, Yeah. So be be sure again, we, we advocate here for all soccer all the time basically so we we there's mm-hmm. there's really no better option than checking out that game lee you you know you mentioned the uh, the upsl here uh again one of the foremost experts on on the uh uh the upsl here in florida uh what's jumping out to you from that league what are you seeing in, in your observation your broadcasting of those upsl games that you think uh folks here would want to know about well, I mean, at the end of the day, the, the, this is this is great soccer that's available all year round. At the end of the day, you know, we have the Founders Cup, but um, the UPSL runs a spring and a fall championship and playoffs for both of those seasons. Um, and the good thing now is that it's spread out right the way through South Florida. You know, we, we have that there's a Dade Brower Division and a Palm Beach Division. The Dade Brower Division is very very competitive, and you have Red Force, Miami Sun. Uh, Florida Soccer Soldiers, um, and then of course you have a Miami United development team, and then quite a few new teams. Um, last weekend I watched Hialeah City, and they came. They've rejoined the league, and they're improving all the time. They're a young team. Um, they've got a lot of ability. Um, the only thing I can say is you just have to check it out. You just have to think, you know, one Sunday, there's a lot of games on the Sunday. You know, you know what? I've got an afternoon free. Just go on to upslsoccer.com forward slash schedule, call up the Miami Day division and just find a game near you and go and check it out. They have games down at Kendall Soccer Park. And of course, they have some midweek games at Tropical Park Stadium. And Tropical Park is accessible for a lot of people in this uh in this town and um i was down there on tuesday and i watched a very very good game of soccer between florida soccer soldiers and red force that ended one nil to the florida soccer soldiers who will be playing um miami fc in the uh, u.s open cup first round in just two weeks time um that was that was an exceptionally entertaining game of football it was two teams that got the ball down on the deck and played attacking football we saw an amazing goalkeeping performance by florida soccer soldiers um brian martin one of my now yes. favorite lower league players and all this stuff is on my kuju you can just go and search for these teams if you're curious and you don't want to make the commitment about going down 
that's that's been my jam. I'm out there with you know <laughs> whether it's with Soccer Droid or with a mobile phone. And one of the reasons I do that, Matt, um, is you know some of the stuff I've captured, the moments I've captured, have, would would be lost to time. You yeah. Know, if 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 I if, if I wasn't there, and you know we've seen some great goals so far in the season in that division, and even with the Palm Beach Spartans, I make the trek up to the to Lake Worth every Friday night to cover their games, and I do it because I love the sport. But you know I don't do it for no other reason that you know, that guy Casemiro Raul up, up playing for the Palm Beach Spartans. He's an amazing footballer. He should be playing at a far higher level. Um, but if you can't get out to the game, then you, you want to watch some good goals. Just go on MyQju and search for some of these teams. Search for UPSL. Just put in Miami UPSL. Put in whatever. And you know. And, and then if, if that gets your curiosity up, go and check out a game. They're, we're halfway through the season. The, um, the teams play each other once. There's not really a home and away series. I, I, I mean, that's the end of my sales pitch. I mean, I'm hooked. Um, I'm a Miami FC fan for life, but I'm all about supporting the grassroots as well. Just like the the MLS um, supporters groups come out and you know they want to be seen to be supporting what they see as the lower league teams, I'm all about passing that baton further down the line. Go onto MyQju, MyQju.tv, and just you you know Google a good team, Google the soccer soldiers, Google Palm Beach Spartans, and you can just click on the highlights. You don't even have to commit to watching the whole game. You know, it's um, and it's really hotting up in the playoff series, which will be in June. The top eight from the day division against the top eight in the Palm Beach division. That is going to be amazing, entertaining soccer. Pitch over. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I definitely think it's worth mentioning because first off, when when you are able to cover it, uh, it's always, you know, exceptional commentary. Not to feather your cap here too much, but um, oh, thank you, Matt. It, it is really good stuff. You and you and Christian both. Um, uh, you know, really good dynamic duo, duo for for local, uh, soccer and 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 you know that's it's a really good thing that I think that we as Magic City Soccer are able to do. Um, and the other thing is, like you said, Lee, and this is something that it, it does stick with me because I I like to fancy myself a student of history. I'm a history teacher, and and there is a whole history of soccer in Miami that is kind of lost. Because it's not on tape, you know. E- exactly, even going back Matt. to the thank you, Matt. Yes, the, going back to the USL days, back when the the old Miami FC, not the Miami FC, but Miami FC of USL before they became the Fort Lauderdale Strikers and joined the the NASL, um, the, their games are so hard to find online, and it mm-hmm. drives me bananas because <laughs> I would love to go and back and watch those games. And so just the fact that we're, we're able to kind of preserve this as a testament to there is soccer here. There has been soccer here. You know, it may not be Major League Soccer, which we will talk about in a minute, but it's important, too, that having all different levels of soccer going on um, in a community is vital to the success of the sport in that community. And I, I think even if it was exactly. literally a camera, you know, attached to a fence post and just shooting the field it would be valuable because it preserves the fact that yes there is competitive soccer here the the fact that it is so much more than that and actually really good to watch and especially the you know like you mentioned the, there there are some good sides red force have mm-hmm. been a, a, a re, repeat oh, yeah. uh performer in the u.s open cup um florida soccer and soldiers the- have been dynamite the last year um and and will get their chance at the big boy in in the miami fc which is awesome uh, there are so many good storylines in that league that it's, um, yeah, it's just great. It's great. It's a really good 
asset to have, and not every community has such a good quality lower level competition going on. And 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 it's it's true. We could have you know well we do have a Miami division, and you know it's and it's a chance for either you know these these players that don't make it. You know, we can talk about academies and everything until we're blue in the face. But the fact of the matter is that even if we do get an MLS team within the city of Miami, you know, only 11 players can get on the field at any one time. And, you know, for the, for the vast majority of people who are going to go through an academy system, they're not going to make it. I'm going to tell you that firsthand because, you know, I've been there myself. And, you know, and but then that gives these guys who are just in love with the sport a chance to play. And, you know, when I went down, you know, the game on Tuesday, this goalkeeper has an amazing performance. And, you know, I share it on social media and then he shares it. And then he's like, it's, his girlfriend's um, mother is sharing it. And, and to me, that's a, that's a valuable thing because it just, it just reinforces in this city that this is a soccer city. People say, oh, soccer is coming or Miami is re- ready for soccer. Get out of here. Like, my, this, this city is, has had soccer at the heart of it for a long, long time. It's just people don't know about it because, like you say, maybe it's never been recorded. And, you know, there's, there's room for everything in this city. This could be, like, ground zero for soccer in North America, which is, which is going to be a great thing. But that's, you can't have it without the grassroots. And you can't have the grassroots if people don't support the grassroots. That's why the grassroots are so important, Matt. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, I, I can't agree more. Um, so again, UPSL, check it out. My Kuju is really the the best resource there, I think, to 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 see that level of the game. And and again, you'll hear some of our uh, the dulcet tones of Lee Fens there. Yeah, um, my voice goes up to eleven. <laughs> <laughs> let's go from the you know the the lower level of the pyramid to the top level of the pyramid. Uh, let's go to uh, the Inter Miami legal roundup corner. Uh, which seems to be where we, we spend a oh lot God, of time. Oh, God, now I'm way out of my depth. Once we get <laughs> off soccer and into the courtroom, this is going to be all you, Matt. So uh, we we had a chance to speak to Jorge Mas last month. Uh, you know, again, if you're listening to this, you you probably are aware of that. But if you're not, uh, the previous episode of this podcast is an audio recording of that interview. I highly suggest you take a listen to it because if you were listening to it, a lot of the stuff that you've heard come over the wire in the last month as it relates to Inter-Miami were really first broached by by me and Abel Yerola, uh interviewing uh, Mr. Moss, the, the managing partner there of Inter-Miami. There are a, a number of legal issues. One of the legal issues relates to the construction of the stadium uh, at what is currently Lockhart Stadium, basically a rebuilding of Lockhart Stadium, a re- reorientation of it into a modular facility for the first two asterisk years of inter Miami CF. <laughs> um, I throw that in there Good because, job, Matt. you know, Good job, Matt. Who, who knows, but we, we do know that the team is committing to the first two years in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, the lawsuit filed last week uh, by uh, David Winker or this week, I should say um, uh, deals uh, asking for an emergency injunction to prevent any permits being issued for demolition uh, of the current Lockhart stadium. Um, that is important because this is on a very, very, very escalated, escalated and amplified deadline. Um, the team is wanting to begin demolition basically in the next week or so in order to clear wow. that lot and begin uh, construction of their, their modular stadium. Um, other legal issues that uh, continue 
deal with the uh, the contract, uh, I'm sorry, the agreement to enter into lease negotiations. The city of Miami has still not picked their um, preferred negotiating partner, um, which that has been kicked down to May 9th now per Joey Fletches of the Miami Herald, who does a great job covering city of Miami politics, which, you know, go with God if you're going to try to cover that. Um, <laughs> it also... Not to leave anyone out or leave anything out. Um, you have legal issues related to the validity of the uh, referendum that was put on the ballot last November, whether that should have even been offered up to the city voters. Um, Inter-Miami is continuing full speed ahead. Again, they are working in particular on developing their youth academy. That has been the main focus of their kind of social media outreach the last week or two, which was, again, something uh, Jorge Mas told us that they were going to amp up their social media attention try to grab uh people's attention through that um and the youth the development of the youth academy does appear to be if not the most important thing that the club is doing right now it's 1b um and oh, so now i can jump in this is where i can jump in go ahead <sighs> thank god for that so i read a, a, an interesting thing that um the way the mls academies are sort of structured is that they have to sort of kick off a season in the middle of the mls season um, this, this is true fact. I can't cite it, but I read it in someone's article somewhere um, about that this whole rush to get the um, MLS Miami Academy up and running is that if it, if, if it is to be up and running when the, if the team is to kick off in 2020, it basically has to be operating in like August of this year. Um, well, I'll have to find a source. Maybe we can share that on Twitter later on. But this is the rush to the academy. The academy is the first thing they need in place. They need an academy side playing within the next couple of months, I think, next two or three months. So that's that's the rush behind that. That's why there's been this big push for academies. That's why they've been after these coaches from like Western and all these like um, you know big pay to play academies in Broward because they they need an academy side on the field like tomorrow. Uh, that's that's an interesting uh, note to make, and again, that that has been more than anything else with the club. That has been the area that has been most solidified. It's kind of the youth development program, uh, as you mentioned, pulling coaches from the the arguably the most respected youth academy in South Florida, Weston FC, which has produced multiple uh, U.S. men's national team players. Um, getting those coaches on board it was a big deal and showed you the direction that they hoped to take and, and also gave you a hint that maybe Broward was going to play a bigger role in all of this than you might imagine. Um, there are just so many. It seems like this this MLS bid, and again, this is not breaking news by any stretch of the imagination, but it just seems as though there are so many missiles coming from so many different directions that this club is having to, to deal with. Uh, Jorge Massa spoke to Jeff Carlisle of ESPN.com. I, I recommend you check out that article. That was something we, we retweeted a couple of days ago. But if nothing, the man exudes confidence. And again, we had a chance to sit down with him for 90 minutes. Hmm. And, and that is something he, d despite everything else around the team, he just is very confident that this is all going to shake out. And I think that's borne out by a, a history of him proving to be successful in developing things where there were not things before. But man alive, this is, has to be one of the... This will be one of the great escapes of his professional career, I would say, if somehow this club winds up kicking off next year at Lockhart and then in two years' time plays games at Mel what is now Melrose Country Club because there are just so many legal incomings that, that the club constantly seems to have to deal with. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you did a world class job of wrapping up all that legal stuff, Matt. I gotta say, um, I I'm I'm not gonna touch on the Jorge Mas thing. I, I it's 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 not for me, but if other people are excited about it, that's great. Um, but it just it just seems to me, Matt, very optimistic if they want to start demolishing Lockhart, which I don't like. But again, that's a fight for some other people. If people want to know my opinion, they know where to find it. If they want to start demolishing Lockhart next month, can that happen, Matt? Do you think that can happen? Uh, yes. I, 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 uh, Brittany Wallman, um, who is uh, the newly minted uh, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist from the South Florida Sun Sentinel. She's the uh, best, Brittany. Go, Brittany. <laughs> she uh, was part of their coverage of the Stoneman Douglas tragedy last year. And uh, was rightly honored along with her and uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know the the rest of the team there for that. Uh, you know she slums it in the soccer world, uh, leaving the important stuff behind from time to time. Has dealt with this Lockhart Stadium mess, if you want to call it that. Um, <laughs> yeah, she she has previously tweeted that this both the city and um, Inter Miami seem very confident in being able to get these these permits expedited um and again that's reflected in the fact that the city has seemed to be welcoming of this bid from day one they, they seem to be very excited about it in contrast to what you see in miami-dade um you know if they want these it's the city's land and you know they they have approved this lease it seems as though it's it that part is done and so yeah now it's just a matter of making sure that the permits are all handled in the proper legal channels, but considering it's demolition, you know, it's not about, you don't have to get really architectural approval to the same way if you were building something. Um, I wouldn't see why those permits wouldn't be issued again in a couple of weeks. And I'm sure right now that they've got another team working on the permits for the construction of the stadium. Um, that would not surprise me if they were able to work in that timeline, unless again, unless this injunction is granted and kind of throws everything into the, the legal mud. But this is the this is the issue, though, isn't it, Matt? Is that um, what happens if they what happens if they demolish Lockhart and then something does happen and so maybe their head is turned by another location or something like that? I think to purely just playing devil's advocate here, what if they knock down the stadium and then something happens? And like, what happens if the whole Mel Reese thing gets accelerated and suddenly they knock down um, Lockhart for nothing? I know it's not likely to happen, but I think that's probably if, you know, an, an angle that people just, again, because Mass is a confident man and a lot of people want this team, they're prepared to overlook, you know, the little shortcomings here, there and everywhere. Like, what happens if they knock it down and nothing happens? I mean, it's not likely, but it's possible. What I would say, Lee, is that I think the fact that Fort Lauderdale... Uh, I'm speculation let me put this out here in front of what i'm saying because this is not informed reporting this is just speculation based on how how this thing has gone i think that jorge mas david beckham the the inter miami group is now very confident that this team is going to play period important period to put there because there's nothing else to add on at the moment they're very confident that this team is going to play i think what they're not confident about at all and rightfully so is mel reese and I don't think I think this team is going to play at Lockhart. I don't think that's going to be the concern. I think the question is how long they're going to play at Lockhart. And this is a question that I think a lot of people right. have asked: is 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 this going to be a two year or a five year or longer? And I, I I think if you are say an Inter Miami fan in Fort Lauderdale and you're like, oh my god, they're going to play here for two years, that's amazing. 
this is only going to get better for your particular interests. I don't think they're going to downscale, but particularly because the terms of the lease agreement are, are, are I'm sure, going to mandate that, that it's going to mandate that there are at least two uh, seasons, full MLS seasons in that stadium. Because again, the goal is eventually move the team back to Miami and put the USL site in there. So even if the team does move in in even if it wants to move early, there is still another team that would kind of slide in there. Um, but again, I can't imagine that, that that would be the particular issue. I think the issue would be the other way, that it's going to wind up being stuck there longer than folks in Miami-Dade County might like. I think this is the one thing I have to bait. You're absolutely right, Matt, and those are great points. <laughs> Fantastically made. But I think the other thing is they still only have, and you correct me if I'm wrong, they still only have the interim agreement. They don't have the complete agreement. How can they knock down that stadium before they have that complete agreement? Well, I think that's going to be the the rub of it. I think that the permits won't be issued until there is a permanent agreement. I, I you know, again, I'm not in Fort Lauderdale City government. I'm not plugged in there. Um, but yeah, I think that's what would be holding the permits up is the fact that they are on this interim level, not on a fully fledged agreement, but. Yeah, I, I think I think that yeah, there's there's no way the city would allow. Well, I mean, maybe not if if Inter Miami are footing the bill for the demolition and they wanted the stadium torn down anyway. You know, worst case scenario is they just come in and clean it up after the fact. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, look I, to to be frank about Lockhart Stadium, uh, and and I know your feelings on it, and I understand those feelings, and I am normally a, a huge advocate for historical preservation. I understand. The, the flip side of the coin here. I understand that there are folks who are saying this stadium has been renovated and upgraded to well beyond what the uh, what, what it should have been, that a stadium that was constructed 50 years ago basically as two bleachers got turned into an MLS soccer-specific venue was impressive for the time, but it, it, it it's a little bit difficult to take it to what would be the next level and not to use a word that you would hate, but make it more of a world-class facility. <laughs> um I, I'm I'm just getting under your skin there. I know, but <laughs> it, it is a stadium that is it the the you know the east west orientation is not very beneficial to evening kickoffs. You know, as we've been to that stadium, the sun you know you're the visit you're the, the visiting supporters, and that sun is shining right in your eyes. Um, it, it it would be beneficial to the quality of play if it were just to be rotated. And I think if you could do that kind of thing without gutting it, I, that would be great. But I, I also don't think I think that by building the stadium at that same site, you are, of course, giving up some history. But there, it's not like they're, it's not like they're tearing down the Orange Bowl to build Marlins Park, which was like a complete abdication of what the spirit of that site was supposed to be. If the Orange Bowl stadium had been torn down to build a new stadium for the University of Miami to play football in, that had some, some, some threads to connect back to the old facility. I don't think a lot of people would have really gotten their their hackles up because the Orange Bowl was a dump. You know what I mean? Like you could sometimes I love the Orange Bowl. I have an Orange Bowl seats hanging in my living room right now. You know, I'm a I, hmm. it was a tragedy that was torn down, but at the same time it didn't badly need a renovation and that renovation might have been kind of a tear it to the studs renovation. Um where I, I think that what Inter Miami wants to do, it's 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 a little bit more than that, but it, it's also I, I do think again giving them the benefit of the doubt, it is 
renovating it, improving it, and also kind of maintaining the spirit. And I know you would disagree with that. I would I would disagree with parts of that, Matt, and it would be disingenuous of me as a man who's lived in this part of the world for eight years to go on about, you know, what things mean to people and that sort of thing. However, I think that the spirit of that stadium has always been the Fort Lauderdale strikers and an independent Fort Lauderdale team representative of Fort Lauderdale. And when this project happens that goes and i think that's a shame uh yeah and i i totally understand you know when we when we sat down with mr Moss, I, I talked about you know the supporters groups of uh, like flight 19 and in particular the reese brothers who are a big kind of uh defender of that legacy and i think that that group has a lot of work to do if they want to really connect with the Broward community and just putting the team there isn't going to be enough. And if they do think that, they're going to be disappointed. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that ultimately the city has on its hands right now a venue that is, if if it's not what you would consider an eyesore, then nothing is. Um, and they desperately want something to happen there. And I think that they kind of had this fall into their lap and I think as stewards of, of you know, government decision-making, it's in their best interest to go with what is the best fiduciary decision and kind of the best decision for the community overall. I think you could legitimately argue that it's not the best soccer decision, if, if that's, you know, your opinion. And I would not I would not disagree with it. You know, I, 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 I wouldn't delegitimize it. Let me say that. I might disagree with it. I think, I think that this is a good <laughs> bid for... That's fair for Broward and Fort Lauderdale, but at the same time, I also totally understand why someone else would, would disagree with that, and I think that both those opinions can coexist, but I, I think that, yeah, it, it's it's a tough thing. This whole thing has been tough from the very beginning, and all the decisions that need to be made have been tough. Speaking of tough decisions related to Inter-Miami, um, the city of Miami is now apparently, and this is no surprise, again, we've talked about this before, really digging into Mel Reese Country Club, not even from Inter Miami's pr- uh, perspective, but looking at the operation of Mel Reese Country Club. Uh, the city is looking into hiring an attorney basically to review the business practices of the DeLuca Family Trust, which operates uh, Mel Reese Country Club. Uh, specifically as it relates to multiple corporations that have been registered at the club when the city has only entered into a contract agreement with one. Um, We are now getting into the real Miami politics of this. There are a lot of scores to settle. There are a lot of people who are not happy with one another. And again, Jorge Mas knows a little bit of this, but David Beckham and Marcelo Claure and Simon Fuller, um, those folks, you know... uh, they certainly cannot anticipate where where this might go. But the fact that you have the city commission uh, about ready to sue the golf club, irrespective of the MLS bid, again, it's just another interesting thread off of this whole topic. Well, I guess some people might find it interesting, but we've done like a whole 15, 20 minutes now of talking about stuff that doesn't even involve kicking the ball. <laughs> well, I mean, this, yeah, I mean, it's... You know me, like I'm a huge fan of the Overtown project and I can't hide that fact. It just seems crazy to me to build a stadium on a golf course and there's a perfectly good site sitting there waiting for a stadium to be built on it. But, I mean, you tell me, Matt, as someone who doesn't, you know, really understand why this is going down this route, why why is it so 
hard for all these people to just agree on something. Uh, I again give commentary here, not reporting. Um, everyone in this city, and again, this is not breaking news in any way. Everyone in the city is scarred for the Marlins deal, in particular, folks in local politics, and no one wants to be the guy or girl who decides, you know what, I'm going to sign up for the next Marlins deal. Even though this deal is not that. I've read the proposed terms. I've read what Inter-Miami is offering. You can disagree with it from a philosophical standpoint that local government shouldn't be in the business of helping sports, but this is not really a, a giveaway in, in any sense. Um, there are a number of ways in which the city of Miami would stand to benefit, not only in terms of a quote-unquote economic development, which is you know can be a very... Uh, uh, generic umbrella term that doesn't mean much of anything, but there are tangible monetary benefits that would come to the city that the city is not seeing right now from Mel Reese. Again, you could argue that, you know, it's, it's parkland. The city's not supposed to see a monetary benefit. Uh, what I would say is that the city can have its cake and eat it too and provide parkland while also generating a little bit of revenue from the land that is already there that they do control. Um, but I think the real issue is, you know, Manolo Reyes is never going to support this deal. Mm -hmm. They need four. And so it's Willie Gort. It all comes down to one guy. We're spending all this time. The city of Miami is uh, looking at hiring lawyers to negotiate a, a, a lease and do all this stuff. And it all comes down to whether one guy wants to change his mind. That's it. It's it's the Willie Gort show. Does he want to change his mind? And and again, Jorge Mas told us as much. You know, when when we spoke to him, he's like, yeah, you know, your your analysis would be right. It comes down to one dude. You know, unless they lose someone who was previously on their side before, in which case the deal is dead anyway. So uh, it's it's a lot of stromundrong for really. Does one guy change his mind? And I, you do kind of wish you you could just expedite and fast forward and get an up or down because again, again, not to promote our previous interview but it, i think it is worth listening to it's definitely uh, worth listening to yeah um jorge mas does not rule out overtown he did not rule it out he did everything but but he also did not rule it out now you could argue that that is potentially a, a bargaining position um but I, I think that if you are looking at this whole saga it's a non-zero percent chance that it winds up back there now could it be one-tenth of one percent chance that it winds up back there? Yes, uh, but it's non-zero. And so you're, you're looking at this whole thing, and if Inter-Miami can't convince Willie Gort to change his mind, at some point they've got to go somewhere else. And for as long as this ownership group, in particular Jorge Mas, has talked about Miami, 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 um, if you really do plan on tucking tail and going up to Broward, that, I mean, that's really kind of the worst way to get started Um with this, with this whole project, it, 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 I don't want to say it's not sustainable that way, but it's close to it because this was supposed to be Miami and to have gone all this time to eventually just wind up at where Miami fusion died the last time. It's really not a good look. Well, this is what you get with the MLS, Matt. Sorry, I mean, I will get on my soapbox for a, for a couple of minutes. Go right ahead. This is, this is, this is what you get with the MLS. It ain't going to be a Miami team. This is a franchise awarded by like a, an organization with its head office far, far, far away from Miami. <laughs> this, this, this is a franchise that, that is not, ultimately, doesn't represent the beating heart of Miami. Yeah, it might be operated by a very proud Miamian who's a Cuban-American and a fantastic businessman, and I'm sure he's a wonderful man. But this whole 
thing about, you know, this is Miami team, everything. Well, I'm sorry, that's not true because it's an MLS franchise. And it seems to me very, very strange that these people involved with the Miami project are railing at the city of Miami. Your rules are stupid. You can't do this. You can't do that. It takes forever to get anything done. Yet you're signing up with a league that has ridiculous salary caps attached to it. You can't just go out and sign the players that you want to sign. And, you know, and, and, and it's, it, it, it's, you know, you, you want it both ways. I, I don't, I don't understand it. It's, um, and when I, to, to loop it back to the actual football, you know, when we was at the game on Saturday, that's what the sport should be about. Like that felt like a Miami occasion. You know, there was all these people from like different parts of the city, new Miamians, old Miamians supporting an actual club that, you know, had, you know, a fair amount of local talent on the pitch and everything. And then you're going to turn around and say, well, then we're going to go and play in like, you know, somewhere that is 30 miles away from, from Miami. For me, I can understand the people who are frustrated with that. If I'd planted my flag in the Inter-Miami camp and they wanted to move the team that I was going to support that far away, I wouldn't be happy with that. And you can talk about this whole South Florida team. And then when it all comes down to it, it's all a political thing. It's, you know, it's, it, you said it yourself, mate. It comes back down to does this one man who has all the power want to put a park by the airport which i'm sorry in itself was ridiculous because i live in brickle i know the prevailing wind is from the east i know the planes are going to take off straight over that park who wants to go for a picnic when 747s are flying over your head every two minutes there's something about this whole thing that for me which doesn't add up and i don't like the project at mel reese i don't like the fact that a team that is literally called Miami is not going to be playing in Miami. And I find it frustrating that there is a perfect site at Overtown that for whatever reason, Jorge Mas is reluctant to build on. And maybe the reason for that is because he won't make as much money out of it. Uh, you know, I think that is definitely the, you know, the, the counterposition. A lot of people feel that this is taking perfectly good parkland and turning it into something. But Matt, is... sorry, sorry, Matt, sorry, Matt. Sure. But it's not it's not it's not perfectly good parkland. It's not a very good place to have a park if anyone sits down and thinks about it. You can play around a golf there. I mean, I'm not a golf guy, but if you're gonna go and play around a golf with your mates and it is the last remaining golf course in the city of Miami. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. You know, it, it, you know. I guess you can tolerate that when the the the, the, the drinks cart is coming around. For my one time playing foot golf, I gather a little cart goes around and serves you drinks while you're playing the golf. <laughs> um, so I think that it's sort of a golf course by an airport that has a modicum of sense about it. I think that this, you know, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors, and there's like you're going to get a park and like. Well, there's, there's lots of parks in Miami. We all going to drive to a park? That's not the way this world needs to be going. I'm sort of getting off topic here, but I, you know, it's it's it doesn't need to be there. That's the frustrating thing. I will say again, kind of a point counterpoint here, and I know we're falling back into a conversation that we've had now for way too long because <laughs> that's what this all is. Inter Miami CF is just generating conversation um, over and over. It's like you're living in a uh, Groundhog Day. You know, as I joked, I think the CF stands for something else uh, that you can't exactly print in a newspaper. Uh, figure it out on your own. A um, eh, bit of a cluster. Uh, so um, I think this is a good plan. I think this is a good plan for the city. I think it's a good plan for the club. I like the idea of Miami having more of kind of a uh, flagship park besides Bayfront. I think okay. Bayfront is obviously the the flagship, 
But I do think that having a public golf course is a waste of resources. And I think there is a four out of five or a five uh, five out of five opinion on that on the city commission. The question is, is this the way you go? And of course, if you if you put it out for open bid, other people would have other ideas and other things, or the city could just decide to turn it into a big old park on its own. I will also say, I do think there is a market for people who'd be interested to go to the airport and watch airplanes take off. I think <laughs> I think that that is... And that is an activity that people do. You're um, absolutely right. But who am I to, 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 to take that away from people if that's what they want to do? <laughs> you know, that's a that's a, as American as apple pie, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's it's just tough because you you it, Inter Miami is in this weird middle ground, and I've argued that I'm generally a fan of open bids on things. However, this is kind of a, you, you unloosen the lid on the pickle jar. I think you ought to get first crack at it where inter Miami really was kind of, yeah, this is, it, it's, okay, a, it's, that's fair. you know, like this is a unique situation where they can't just, they can't afford to buy a, you know, a bunch of buildings and knock them down and build a new stadium because it will bankrupt the project at first. And again, some people would say, well then don't do it. Any other business would have that choice to make. Okay. But sports are different. You know what I mean? I, I think that a city can facilitate not to the degree that, you know, they're laying out bonds to support the building of a stadium like Miami did with the Marlins. But at the same time, I think you can generate a little wiggle room in order to kind of squeeze in a team and help them out to, to make it a little bit more financially responsible. I do also think that, again, having spoken to, to Jorge Mas, I think that there is legitimately a bit of a vision there about what they want to do with the development on that site that is beyond soccer. And part of that is financial windfall but also part of it is kind of a lasting legacy for the city that goes beyond sports again not to get too far into the weeds on it but i I think what he has in mind specifically for the technology hub and the office hub that they have planned there is you know again another cliche but could potentially be a game changer for a city that has struggled for a century to develop kind of high profile white collar high uh income jobs um now all of that of, of course sounds all well and good make it happen and and that could be if inter miami cf fails to deliver on that if miami freedom park fails to deliver on that then it's going to be another albatross and Matt, that is Matt, what... sorry let me just jump in that and sure. i think it, when it comes around to it you make great points at the end of the day I have a disdain for the MLS, but if people want to support an MLS team, that's their prerogative and that's fine. Anything that brings a soccer to this city is fine by me and great. Um, but one thing that stood out to me, and I put it like in our group chat, when Jorge Mas says, you know, something, something, something about the teams are successful when they win. Don't worry, we will win. He can't guarantee that. So sports teams will go through tough times. The best sports teams in the world will go through tough times. You look at Man United now compared to Man United 10 years ago. You look at Fiorentina getting busted down leagues or whatever, you know, the scandals in Italy. I think that what it comes down to for me, Matt, is that I don't think people, uh, what is being offered to people is not what they're going to get. And I think that people need to be very, very careful with that because there's a lot of PR and salesmanship about it. And it, it, the fact that he's had to say, we will win as like a, a thing that is going to be so great about this team. That's not what supporting a football club is about. You go and support that football club. If they're bottom of the league and it's 
pissing it down with rain and you hate the players and you hate the manager, you still turn up. I realized, and everyone will always tell me, Miami is different, you know, all these things. And I take those points on board and it comes back down. And actually, I will round this off from my point of view saying, I think the fault is with the city of Miami. We talked about Tropical Park. I know that Jorge Mas wanted to use that as a temporary venue, but just the time frame was impossible to do it. Well, actually, I agree with Jorge Mas on that. It's a scandal that he can't fix up that dilapidated stadium at Tropical Park and hand that back. Instead, he's going to do something in Fort Lauderdale and Fort Lauderdale is going to get the benefit. It's not about all this Miami versus Fort Lauderdale stuff. I think the fault here lies with the city of Miami. Some people are buying things which they don't understand. There's a lot of people there who don't understand soccer. There's a lot of people there who don't understand what MLS is. And and I think that that is the thing that puts it on slightly shaky ground. Okay, if the majority of the people want to have a technology park and a soccer stadium at Mel Reese, I'm fine with that. Go and do it. But I think that People need to just be a little bit wary. There's a few things out there being promised that people can't really promise. I would say that, again, a, a short counter and then we will move on. This has been a good conversation, but mm. you know we're, we're really diving into a lot of the aspects <laughs> of Inter-Miami here. Um, I would say I think it's the job of Jorge Mas to say we're going to win. I like, And I think that when you look at general managers and – managing partners and stuff like that throughout the world of sports, not just soccer, their their job is to tell you they're going to win. Um, I do think that there is a natural like Miami thing here to be like, oh, they've got to win in order for people to turn out, tune out. I mean, to, in order for people to, to, to come to the games. I would say that's unquestionably true, and it's not a good reflection on the city. At the same time, though, you look at a club like the New England Revolution, one of the most established names in Major League Soccer, one of the founding clubs, their attendance is pathetic. It's mm-hmm. pathetic. And part of it is because they're in the wrong stadium. They're in a an NFL stadium and really should have never been there. And part yeah. of it is they haven't been yeah. good for a few years, but even when they were good, their attendance wasn't great either. You look at another like old uh, established name, Chicago Fire. Their attendance is awful. They're looking to move back into the city because they decided to build their own stadium in the suburbs and no one turn, turn, you know, turns out for it. And so I do think there are some legitimate concerns. When you, when you are a, a MLS owner, uh, this new breed, you have to get the stadium decision right. And that's been the pressure that's been around Inter-Miami forever. And so I think that Jorge Mas is confident that if they can get the stadium they want in the place they want, that they can produce a winner. I think he is... He is, he is betting on that with his life, basically. You know, he's betting on that with his name, his reputation in this city. He could very well be wrong. It could not turn out the way he wants to because we have seen before in this league that being able to land the big name from Europe isn't necessarily a predictor for success. LA Galaxy with Zlatan, you know, has kind of backslided a little bit compared to Los Angeles Football Club. And so there, I, I he's, like you said, he's maybe making a promise he can't deliver on or he doesn't know he can deliver on yet. But I would also say it's kind of his job to have that kind of confidence. I would also okay. say that, um, and again, I don't. I'm not necessarily trying to like change your mind or convince you or anything. I'm just, I, 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 my perspective of it that I do think it is a kind of larger problem in soccer and in sports in general in America, where I think you do have to be a winner to deliver fans, and more so in Miami than elsewhere. But I, I don't think it's a Miami exclusive problem. The other thing I mentioned, I think the great unmentioned 
uh, villain in this story is Miami-Dade County. Where you mentioned that Tropical Park development, the fact that the county yeah. was unable to to find a way to make this work, um, with, which again would have been basically a $30 million gift to Miami-Dade County Park System. The fact that they were unable to make it work, that should be a much bigger scandal, but instead it became Jorge Mas talking about cow pastures. When when you talk to the youth coaches, you talk to the people who are in parks playing soccer in Miami-Dade County, they're with Jorge Mas. They're not with uh, Carlos Jimenez. They're not with the Miami-Dade County Commission that was kind of pushing back. Those fields are not in great shape. And the the, the fact that you had someone who was sitting on eight figures ready to pour into Miami-Dade Parks, and he got told no because of byzantine regulations yeah you know I, I, sometimes those regulations are important and and i'm i'm not saying that you know we have to go out and rewrite the laws to benefit business for our parks that's a, a very slippery slope but in this particular instance this was a real missed opportunity that really falls at the feet of miami-dade county i i agree with that completely matt and i think that's that's some common ground that, that pretty much every soccer fan i think in miami can can get on is that tropical park is you know it's, it's great and in many ways it's the perfect situation for a stadium and let's be honest here mls needs miami a lot more than miami needs the mls and i think that if they could have got an agreement to build a stadium at tropical park don garber would quite quickly have gone fine guys do it if you think it'll work do it and you know and then this whole thing about having to go through this whole rigmarole of will you or won't you get mel reese and you know and where do we have to play temporarily that will all have gone away and then if you know if jorge mass wasn't satisfied with the whole overtown thing because he wants to build an extended project then you know when you think about it when you get down to it the tropical park thing actually solves like all these problems in kind of one go um and and you're right i think it's the fact that you know we just want to play football and people want to support the team they want to support and people have the right to do that and i think that it's a shame that it's just being held back by these rules and regulations and we're talking about court cases rather than what, what mls uh, what, what what designated players mls miami are going to sign and I think that's the real shame. Speaking of court cases, uh, let's transition briefly uh, after that that good and meaty and lengthy uh, uh, MLS discussion. But we got a whole other court case. If to you talk made about. it this far, well done. <laughs> yes, um, uh, not involving MLS this time, which is kind of the surprise. It's a court case that involves relevant sports, which mm. is a New York based but really Miami uh, kind of centric company that deals with soccer promotion in the United States. They are the ones that organize the International Champions Cup, International Championship Cup, um, that has routinely brought uh, big-time uh, club friendlies to South Florida, as well as a number of international friendlies. Two uh, friendlies later this year involving Brazil, Colombia, Venezuela, and Ecuador will be at Hard Rock Stadium. They're organized by Relevant. But Relevant kind of really shook the soccer landscape the other day with their filing in New York Supreme Court, uh, which if you go to our site, magiccity.soccer, I did a bit of a, a write-up about that lawsuit. It is important to note that Supreme Court in New York is actually the lowest level civil trial court. It, you would think that it would be like the top court, but it's not. It's basically circuit court or district court or whatever your state may have. But they are filing a lawsuit against the United States Soccer Federation, which again, they're another organization that has lots of experience dealing with numerous lawsuits, uh, basically saying that Relevant Sports um, has tried twice now to bring league matches, not friendlies, but actual league competitions to Miami, to the United States and to Miami. Uh, obviously, we're familiar with Barca, uh, F's, I should say, FC Barcelona, 
and um, uh, attempted to come. Barcelona's mixed up, Matt. <laughs> yes, uh, Barcelona and Hirona of La Liga. Uh, back in January, uh, that game was spiked uh, ultimately by the Spanish Federation, but with a little bit of help by USSF. Um, they tried again to bring the other Barcelona, Barcelona SC of Ecuador and uh, uh, Guayaquil City uh, to Hard Rock on Mostly May 5th. Done. This game was not promoted, was not made public because USSF basically sat on it, did not want the game to happen, and, and formally denied the request this week. Uh, Lee, this was, again, unforeseen. You had figured that Relevant would try again, but you had figured it would be with La Liga at some point. Uh, this, again, was way out of left field and brings really a big point of contention in the soccer world to light. In American sports, we have a tradition of taking games to other countries to promote the sport, whether it's Major League Baseball going to uh, Cuba or the Dominican Republic or Mexico, uh, NFL playing games, um, in Canada, the NBA playing games in France and, and England. Um, this is this has not worked the other way. Uh, clubs around the world have not moved their league competitions to the United States or to other countries. Uh, this is, could potentially be a real flashpoint uh, for the United States Soccer Federation and Major League Soccer. Uh, I wanted to get your take on it because, again, you have more of a, a, a continental perspective, a, a, a world mm. perspective on the game. Uh, what's your take on this, and, and what kind of impact do you think it would have on the sport? Um, have you met Charlie Stilitano at all, Matt? Uh, the the head honcho at Relevant? Yes. Yes, I have as well. And um, and I believe that he's, he's trying to do the right thing in as much as he's trying to bring soccer to this part of the world um, that, that people can can go and watch and enjoy and it will be a good standard and everything. And I think that's a good thing. I don't have a problem with the International Champions Cup. I think that's a good chance for people who, you know, maybe can't get to, to Madrid to see Real Madrid up close. That's a great thing. I have a bit of an issue with wanting to play like a, a league game from another country in another country. It's it's something that's a completely alien concept to me. So I think in this case, you know, um, I think the USSF have done the right thing in standing up to him. I think to, to have these teams playing a competitive game in their league, I think it's unfair of the fans of those teams. And I think it's unfair on the local teams here that, you, you know, that this is a a pit stop on a world tour or something like that. So I think that what Relevant and and Mr. Tilatano does is is a good thing with that International Champions Cup, but I think there's a line and you cross it when you're starting to bring these games, trying to bring a league game here. We all know the motivations for that. We all know the league are trying to get ahead of Bundesliga, Serie A and Premier League, and they're trying all sorts of things to, to do that. Um, I think the USSF have done the right thing in vetoing it. I think... Um, I've struggled to see who who thinks that it's not the right decision. I would say, first off, I'm I'm generally in agreement with you. I think that for the overall good of the game, that moving league competitions like this really messes up a lot of things. And yes, it would be really cool for there to at some point be an El Clasico in Miami that actually had stakes. That would be really interesting from our perspective. But the worldwide game, I don't know if it would benefit from that, unless it was like the most limited in scope. I would also say, though, that I, I understand Relevant's argument in what they're making. Um, and I do think there is, when, from, from a legal standpoint, 
Um, you know, they had mentioned, uh, 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 again, forgive me. I'm trying to pull up the, the relevant portion. Let me, let me actually go back. That that works on two levels. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's funny. Um, so, uh, ah, here we go. Uh, According to the USF's bylaws, uh, uh, Federation bylaw 102, which is basically the, the crux that relevant is resting their argument on. It is the Federation's responsibility per its bylaws, quote, to promote, govern, coordinate, and administer the growth and development of soccer in all its recognized forms in the United States for all persons of all ages and abilities, including national teams and international games and tournaments. What the USSF will say is, we mean those international games to include the U.S. soccer team, Uh, you know, the men's national team, the women's national team. I think what Relevant will argue is that, well, actually bringing games like this will attract more attention because... There is clearly a desire for American fans to see these clubs play because when you look at the TV ratings comparing MLS games to, say, English Premier League games, um, the ratings are similar and oftentimes they're airing at wildly different hours of the day. The fact that, say, you know, a, a, a Manchester Derby or, or uh, you know, a, the, the classical can draw more eyes at 10 in the morning, 11 in the morning, than an MLS game can at five or six in the evening. Um, I, I think that what Relevant is arguing is basically this is what American soccer fans want, and if you want to develop the game, you should get their eyes on this. What the Federation will say, of course, is it's our job to protect American soccer. And Relevant's argument is basically, well, that's not what your bylaws say. It's to grow the game. It's not to grow the American game. It's to grow the game. Um, I think it's an interesting argument. I, I If I were Relevant, honestly, the way I would be tacking on this is kind of the direction that some countries have gone already but if i were them i'd be trying to really delve into this part of it is look for the cup finals look for the you know the particularly the beginning of the season you know the charity shield type competitions i think that's where you could potentially have a little bit more success because messing with the league schedules it's just really difficult. It's it, it it puts clubs in an unenviable position. You're losing a home game and really messing with the competitive balance of a league. I think ultimately that's too much to ask for. But it is an interesting argument, and, and I think the USSF will have something to answer for here. Yeah, and again, it's... I mean, you talk about semantics of bylaws and that, and... Uh, I think that their job is to grow the game. You said it yourself, to grow the game in the United States of America. And I think that this game only serves to grow the bank balances of certain people who want to get a little bit richer. And it comes down to that for me. And, you know, I don't agree with everything the USSF does. I I don't see what one game or a few, like, league games here and there will really do other, other, other than to, you know, be to be a commercial success. The job of the USSF is supposed to be to be stewards of the game in this country for the good of the game in this country, and I, I don't I don't really see the benefit of playing these games. And if it says international games, to me the terminology for an international game would include, say, Manchester City versus Juventus at Hard Rock Stadium, and I think everyone is fine with that. I think saying well, international game includes us plucking two teams from a league and dumping them in Hard Rock Stadium to make a quick $5 million, I, I don't buy that. Yeah, I, I think that's certainly what the U.S. Um, Federation is arguing, and I think it's, again, you're going by the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. I think spirit of the law, that's certainly 
uh, the, the way it should probably be interpreted. Um, yeah, I just think it's it's really interesting that this kind of reared its head again, mm. uh, this question, and the fact that it was this game that basically had been, you know, smothered by the Federation that Relevant was apparently eager to, uh, you know, uh, to host, but it wasn't able to do anything with it. Um, that's, uh, again, I, what I find really, really interesting. Um, last I think, note, Matt, I think Matt, the, the, you know, it's it's a slippery slope, isn't it? Because I think there are there are certain people in this on this planet that would love like a global Premier League. You know what I mean? It's like sure. I, think, I think you know I think Stephen Ross like if 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 in his in his in his dreams he's thinking of like a global Premier League and one of those global Premier Leagues playing at Hard Rock Stadium. I don't I don't I I think that I can hand on heart say that 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 would be a dream come true for him. And I think that these kind of matches are a slippery slope down to that. And I don't think anyone really wants that because, you know, with the, with the NFL, I'll sit down and watch the NFL. It's a great sport. I love watching the NFL. But there's a ceiling to the NFL. You're never going to sell the NFL to the rest of the world. But if you can NFLize soccer and have, instead of having the National Football League, there's this massive behemoth, what one thing could slay that? Well, it would be a global Premier League, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, for sure. And I, I think that's, I think that if you look at someone like Stephen Ross, who owns the Miami Dolphins and has been connected to uh, the NFL uh, now for about a decade, and you're looking at his background as a business person specifically dealing in real estate, it, he is someone that's looking for growth. He's not just looking for revenue, he's looking for growth. And uh -huh. I think he sees a growth opportunity in both taking the NFL global and bringing the global game to the United States where it is a market that it has been at a disadvantage. Um, and so I think that's the play he's trying to make. The problem is, is that, yeah, you, you, you could potentially, you know, kill the golden goose where of both, you know, um, there's a saying, I'm sure it's not Mark Cuban's, but I'm, I'm familiar with him using it, speaking about the NFL. He's the owner of the, the NBA's Dallas Mavericks. Um, and he, he said about the NFL, he, he's very uh, bearish on the NFL's future because he feels as though it's it's too big. It's gotten too big and too unwieldy to manage. And basically the way he summarizes it is that pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. That, you know, <laughs> you, you know you, pigs get greedy and, and go more and more and eventually you hit a certain point and the farmer's going to come around for you. And, and basically you're, it's going to kind of lop you up. Um, I, I think that's where this U.S. Soccer Federation, I think a lot of the soccer federations, because, you know, criticize them all you want in their own personal profit uh, uh, motives, you know, a lot of them have certainly gotten fat in their own time. But I think that in general, the federations are attempting to manage growth responsibly, I guess would be the way I would put it, is that they obviously want the game to grow, but they, they want it to grow on their own terms. And again, sometimes that is... Their terms are are myopic and, and not really looking out for the, the the real direction where the sport is going. Particularly if you look at the English FA, uh, has often been criticized for kind of being backwards looking. Um, but at the same time, a lot of these federations don't want the game to wind up being too big to manage. Yeah. And I think that's what they're trying to do here. And I totally understand it. Again, would it be great if we in Miami could become like the host of global soccer? You know, where all these important games are coming to our doorstep. For us personally, that's kind of the best case scenario. That would be dynamite. But if you're looking for the the 
the the goodness of the game, the the health of the game around the world, it might not be the best thing. But I mean, you know, at the end of the day, people want all this overnight success. And, you know, I guess I understand that people have been waiting for, I guess the best way to put it is a top flight team in Miami, even with all due respect to Miami FC and all the teams that have gone before, um, even the Miami Fusion and the MLS, like the MLS at that time was a very different beast to the MLS now. And people want this sort of thing overnight. But wouldn't it be great if like things to do with the sport in this country changed and we started building things from the ground up? And then wouldn't it be great if the sport here was so big that actually people in other countries would be like, damn, I wish we could get that into Miami, Miami FC derby in our part of the world. I think that's, you know, that that's what we need to be working for is, is, is building the game that we have, you know, evolving the game and making it so what we have is desirable. You said it yourself, Matt. No one watches the MLS on TV. No one around the world watches the MLS. But the potential is there. And I've said it before, for, for us to have really the Premier League of the Americas here. Yeah, South America will always be like play like stylish football and quality soccer. But, you know, if you did change certain things about the game in the United States of America, you could quite easily turn it into something that could compete on the world stage. But people don't want to put in the time and effort and groundwork to get to that point. They just want to bring these teams in over here overnight and have this other thing that's successful instantly. And I think that we'll find that if we all like work together and move the game forward, find that common thread, which is, you know, we want American soccer to be great. We all do. I'm not even an American and I want that. If we all, if we all move in a certain direction, we'll get there eventually. It doesn't have to be tomorrow. If it's in 50 years time, that's okay. We've got to think about the long game here, Matt, not the short game. I think those are beautiful words to close on, if I do say so myself. Lee, uh, kind of a really eloquent, uh, uh, you know, almost poetic closing. Um, we'll have lots more to talk about, obviously, heading into the weekend and going into next week as the NPSL, NPSL season ramps up. Um, and we'll see a lot of that, obviously, on social media. Lee, if, do you want to tell people where they can find you on Twitter? Um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. Um, I, I think I've put an, I had to put an underscore in my name because I got locked out of my other account, and it's very late at night. It's just way past my bedtime, and I've already <laughs> had I've already had one late night at Tropical Park. You can find me Lee underscore Evans. That's I F A N S on Twitter. Um, but you know what? You should just follow um, Magic City Soccer and uh, Magic City Sock on Instagram. Um, you know everything that you need to know is going to be there, isn't it? Let's face it. Uh, yes, please do follow us on all those social media accounts. I do want to mention uh, one of our listeners who who chimed in, and uh, Joseph Jean, uh at Joseph Jean one uh, I did kind of fold in your question. He did ask us a question about if something happens with Fort Lauderdale, uh, should Inter-Miami consider postponing for another year or look somewhere else? Um, that was kind of folded into our, 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 our discussion about redevelopment and demolition there at, um, at Lockhart up in Broward. Um, I don't think it's going to be an issue. Honestly, I think that that's where it's going to wind up being. So, um, Joseph, again, thank you for listening and, uh, interacting with us and, uh, to everyone else. If you have questions for us that you'd like to, uh, have answered, uh, you know, we usually, we try to get back to you on Twitter or whatever your preferred social media is. Uh, you can find us at magic city soccer on Twitter, magic city soccer on Facebook and magic city sock on Instagram. And I'll tell you what, Matt, if if you and if you wouldn't just come and chat to us, you know where we'll be. We'll be at the games as well. Just this is true. Do, 
just come down. We could, you know, just look look for the Magic City Soccer baseball hats, and you know, just just come come out and talk to us. Like let's let's have a conversation. You know, we like like I just said, if you want to talk about Miami soccer, go to where Miami soccer happens. That's where you'll find us. Yeah, we're real people. You can just come <laughs> up and say hello. Yep, uh, <laughs> we're friendly. Yes, we don't bite. We promise. Um, so yeah, that'll do it. Again, Lee, as always, thank you very much, sir. Uh, pleasure as always, Matt. You're the best. The pleasure has been mine. Uh, so until next time, uh, go Miami FC and Miami United. Uh, go billable hours for local law firms who must be very excited <laughs> by all this soccer action. And uh, go Miami soccer. And go with the UPSL. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>